You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. We do praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit, for your rich grace given to us in the gospel. We're so grateful for your love, your mercy, your kindness. We pray that you would now continue to give that grace to us as we turn to your word. May we not be those who just look at your word and walk away unchanged, but may we be those who look and respond to your word with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, friends. It is so good to see you this morning. Um, You might know that as a church family, we follow along with the liturgical calendar or the Christian year, sometimes it's called. Um, And we do this because we're trying to live differently as followers of Jesus, even in the way that we order our time and our calendars. And so we've been through Christmas and the Epiphany and Lent and Easter, and we're still in Easter, but we're now beginning to move towards Pentecost, which is May 23rd. So we've moved, switched our colors from white and gold to red and orange, signifying the work of the Spirit. And so we'll in 2 Corinthians, we'll be looking at much of the work of the Spirit um, in the coming weeks as well. So if you've been with us at all the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we are in a sermon series on the book of 2 Corinthians called Power in Weakness. Power in Weakness. What we're saying week by week is that the death and resurrection of Jesus is not just like our ticket to heaven, but it's actually the secret to life. It's not just about life after death, but about life before death that this pattern of death and resurrection gives us a new way to live, that just as the power of God's resurrection came in and through the weakness of the cross, so God's power is most manifested in and through our weakness, which is a crazy paradoxical thing that we get to know in Christ. So our reading this morning um, is the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three, We're calling this Letters of the Spirit, and our reading today is from Mark Meadows. So let's open our ears and hearts and hear God's word. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, 
are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the superhero craze that has really been going on for decades continues, it seems, with no letting up in Marvel's latest series uh, that you might have seen that's called Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, There's two characters, Sam Wilson, who's on the right there, and Bucky Barnes on the left, and they make this really unlikely superhero duo. Um, So Sam Wilson has been bequeathed the shield of Captain America by Steve Rogers, and yet he's feeling super inadequate, like that he doesn't have what it takes to actually be Captain America. And then Bucky, on the left, he had been manipulated for decades by the Nazi state to be a killing machine, and so he's trying to escape all of the demons of his past. And so neither of them feel like they have what it takes to be a hero. But of course, you can guess the story, and I won't give it away, but basically they are pushed into situations where they actually have to grapple with their inadequacies. They have to wrestle with their insecurities. And it is the very thing that they are most afraid of about themselves that makes them in the end so great. Power and weakness. Now, as silly as this sounds, I think that part of the reason we have, I think this long-standing love affair with superheroes some of us do, I know some of you couldn't care less, um, is that I think that so many of us, we all feel so ordinary, and yet we all want deep down to be so extraordinary. You know, we all living these ordinary mundane lives, we want to actually feel like our lives have a greater purpose than our own little stories. We all wanna be a part of a, of a bigger narrative that is larger, than our own little lives. And so we especially love the stories about like the washed up soldier who turns hero or the nerdy kid who gets bitten by a spider and gets swept up into adventure or the guy wrestling with his demons who works to overcome them and becomes a part of a team that helps rescue the world. We love these stories because I think we all wanna believe that, that even in our inadequacies and our struggles and our insufficiencies, that maybe we could, in our ordinary lives, be swept up into a mission that is greater than ourselves. All of us long for that, I think. Well, the, the, the beautiful thing about the gospel story, brothers and sisters, is that this is true. It's true that after Jesus was crucified, his followers felt like the biggest losers in the world. You know, this guy that they had believed was the Messiah, the one that would rescue them and rescue the world, had been executed instead by the Roman state. And not only that, but they are all feeling really terrible about themselves because they had betrayed him and turned their backs on him. And now they're just like hiding away in fear like a bunch of cowards. And the amazing thing about the Easter story is this, is that not only does Jesus, the crucified Messiah, rise from the dead and triumph over the grave, but then he comes to these unreliable, discouraged, demoralized, depressed men and women hiding away in an upper room. And he says to them, you all, you all, you all are now going to be my frontline heroes on my world saving mission. You all. 
He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. John 20, 21. You will be my witnesses, Acts 1, 8. This is it, friends. Jesus Christ is ascended. He's risen from the dead. He's reigning in glory. He sent his spirit. He is on a mission to gather the nations to himself and to renew all things. And who does he recruit to be a part of his work? <laughs> you and me. You, you and me. People like us, ordinary broken down, insufficient, inadequate, men and women, boys and girls like you and me. That's the message of this passage, that God uses weak people to make known the power and goodness of his gospel to the world. If you're a Christian, you've been called. If you're a Christian, you are not just called to Christ, you are called to his mission. You, you can't know Jesus without being sent by Jesus. There's no relationship with Jesus without having a mission of Jesus. God is a missionary God, and therefore we are a missionary people. But what does that really mean? And so this passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul offers three metaphors, three really interesting images to describe or to depict how it is that we are called to be witnesses, to be missionaries in this renewal that Jesus is up to in the world. So let's look at these three images. First of all, Paul says that we are incense bearers spreading the fragrance of the gospel. Look with me at chapter two, verses 14 through 17. Now with this first metaphor, Paul, this sounds really unfamiliar to us, but this is something that would have been very common if you were a first century person. He's using the metaphor of a first century Roman victory parade. We have, we know there's over 300, um, uh, recollections of these in the annals of Greco-Roman history. Very common in that they basically, what would happen is a general would win a battle and they would come back and, and want to brag about their victory. And so they would ride, you know, a war horse through the cities and all the people would come out and they would have a big victory parade. And in this parade, there were incense bearers. So they were people, ordinary men and women who would walk behind the general on the horse, and they would carry these sensors, these tall sensors, and on the top of the sensors would be burning aromatic herbs, like frankincense and, and other herbs that put off good smells. And so the, the, the aroma wafted through the city and was meant to be the aroma of the victory of the general. And so Paul takes this interesting image and he applies it to us, the Christian community. Presumably in this metaphor, Jesus is the great general who has triumphed over sin and death and the grave. And now we, Paul says, are behind him as the incense bearers holding aloft the aroma of his victory. So look at verse 14. Paul says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So Paul is using this image and he's saying, look, our role in the parade is to simply walk behind the general holding up the, the incense, spreading the knowledge of his victory through the aroma of his life in us. Okay. That's the metaphor. Now, what does this mean? Well, you know, I read a number of commentaries on this and they all seem to not have the same understanding of what this means. And so let me suggest to you what I think it means is that I think it means that, that how we live is central to our witness, that our lives should give off the aroma 
of the new life of Jesus that is in us. So people can sense the new life of Christ in us. You know, smell is a sense, of course. When you detect a smell, I, I just did, I went down kind of the rabbit hole of researching olfactory nerves this week. Very strange. What you find yourself doing as a preacher? Um, but when you detect a smell, the olfactory neurons in the upper part of your nose generate an impulse that is passed into the brain through the olfactory nerve. And so then what the olfactory nerve does is it takes the information about this smell and then it passes it into the limbic system within your brain. Now you might know about the limbic system. The limbic system of the brain is that part of your brain that processes emotion and mood and memory. And so this is why smell is often considered to be the most emotional and the most emotive and even the most comprehensive experiential of any of the senses. This is why when I walk into a a kitchen and there's banana bread baking in the oven, I immediately think of my mom and my childhood, or this is why the perfume industry invests so much in aromas as a way to communicate, to, to communicate emotion and sensuality. It's because, because smell, even almost more than speech, is powerful communicators, because while words only communicate a rational message to the brain, smell communicates an experience to the body to the whole emotional life of a person. So, so what's this getting at? Well, I believe that what Paul is saying is that part of our calling as missionary people is to be the aroma of Christ, to actually give people an, an experience of the difference that Christ makes in our lives. Our words are important, we'll get to that in a moment, but just as important as our words is the way we live, the, how we carry out our lives communicates something different, distinct, unusual that sets us apart so that people are, have an experience of the new life of Christ in us. It's important, especially that we model what I'm going to call a category defying goodness, a category defying goodness. I want you to think about Jesus for a second. Think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus, one of the things that made him so attractive is how category-defying he was in his ministry. On the one hand, Jesus was deeply conservative in his commitment to the law, his submission to God, his upholding of a traditional moral ethic. But on the other hand, he was radically progressive in his application of the law, in his love of the poor, and the marginalized, his inclusion of women, his courageous stances against injustice. Jesus was so category-defying that the conservative Pharisees hated him, and the progressive Sadducees hated him. They all hated him because to them, Jesus smelled like death. But to everybody else, to the least and the last and the low and the lost, Jesus smelled like grace. He smelled like God. He smelled like the kingdom. He was category-defying goodness. And the same was with the early church. You know, looking back on the early church in the first couple centuries, we'd say now that they were conservative in their views on sex and marriage and their pro-life commitments against abortion and infanticide, which was such a common practice in the first century. And yet they were radical in their gathering of diverse races and ethnicities and their care of the poor and the marginalized, their radical sharing of resources and their commitment to non-retaliation and forgiveness in a society of violence. And they were so category defying that the radical revolutionary groups hated them and the conservative religious groups hated them 
because the church to those people smelled like death. But to so many, the marginalized, the lost, the least, they smelled like Jesus and they changed the world. And so here's what I'm saying, friends. So many today have written off Christ and written off Christianity because they don't see anything different about the church. They see us living the same way as everyone else, treating people with the same disdain and hatred, lumping into these left and right camps, just like secular society around us. When the church aligns too much with the patterns of the world, when we follow the same patterns of selfishness and disdain and greed and division, then we lose our smell. We lose our standing. We lose the aroma of Christ in us. And so if we're going to be witnesses to Jesus, we've got to smell like him. We, we have to embody his category-defying goodness that does not mimic the patterns of the world, that models a new way of love that embodies the life of Jesus. So let's live differently. Let's spread the aroma of Christ in the way that we live. Okay, that's the first image. Second, though, Paul says, we're letters, letters communicating the grace of the gospel. Look with me in chapter three. In chapter three, Paul shifts to a different metaphor. He, he now says that we're letters. Look at verse one. He says, or verse three, he says, you are a letter from Christ written not with ink, but the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This is such a striking metaphor. He's actually saying that if you're a Christian, that you are a vessel of communication about God's grace to other people, that God is actually using you like a letter to communicate the good news of God's grace to other people. So this is really a metaphor about how we speak, how we speak, that our words actually communicate the good news about Jesus and his grace to the world. Now, this is such a fun metaphor. I just want to unpack it a few ways. First of all, this is a little obvious, but for letters to be effective, they have to actually be sent, right? They have to be sent. When, when Sarah, my wife and I were dating, actually before we were dating, we were good friends for about a year and a half. Um, and we both secretly liked each other, but neither of us disclosed it. And, and, it, and then later, later on, many years later, Sarah sort of told, told me one day that she had actually, early on in our friendship, had written me a letter disclosing her affection and telling me how she really felt, but she never sent it. She never mailed it. And I said, if only you'd done that, we would have saved so many really awkward and difficult, <laughs> difficult conversations. But letters that are never sent are impotent, Right? And so here's what I'm saying. If we're going to be letters from Christ to other people to communicate the love of God, then we actually have to know people. We have to be in relationship with people. We have to have friends and actual contact with people who are really different than we are, who have different worldviews, who have different lifestyles, who have different ways of operating the world than we do. Elizabeth Bruning wrote a fascinating article in the Washington Post about how in previous generations, Christians tried to change society by taking power and legislating laws. Today, she said, many Christians don't expect to change society. They kind of feel like that ship has sailed. And so instead, they want to protect their lifestyle, preserve their liberties in a bubble so they can live the way they want to. So she said the impulse to change society has been replaced by the impulse to retreat from society. Now, I don't know if that's true. But all I know is that 
This is not the call of Jesus. Jesus did not call his followers to change society, nor did he call his followers to retreat from society. What he called us to do is be salt and light in society. And that means to be penetrating in society. You know, salt doesn't do anything unless it penetrates the meat. Light doesn't do anything unless it penetrates the dark. And so to be Christ's presence in the world means we actually have to be sent. We have to be engaged. We have to be out of the Christian bubble, right? So that's the first thing. Another thing about letters is they have to actually communicate a message. A blank piece of paper in an envelope is not a letter. It's just a blank piece of paper in an envelope. (laughs) And so a letter needs words. It needs a message. It needs something to communicate. We have a message to communicate with other people, friends. And it's not a message about ourselves. It's not a message about our goodness. It's not a message about how right we are. It's just a simple message that God loves the world and everyone in it, and that he has manifest his love through this person, Jesus, who has given his life for us and risen for hope for the world. That's our message. And it's a, it's a message we have to communicate. You know, the old saying, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. It's a nice phrase, and there's some truth to that. But the fact is, friends, is that there are many times where we actually have to explicitly speak about Jesus. If you don't use words, then people will never understand why you're living differently. They'll never understand why you have different priorities. They'll never know why you have hope in the midst of a discouraging time. So letters actually have a message to communicate. And the other thing is, is that letters have to communicate in a way that actually connects and that makes sense to people. Have y'all read Shakespeare recently? Uh, You know, Shakespeare, it's English, but it's really difficult to understand. You know, you have to read like a paragraph over and over again. And sometimes, guys, Christians talk about their faith with people who aren't Christians in a way that sounds like Shakespeare. That doesn't make any sense, right? Jesus covered me in the blood, and now I am surrounded by his hedge of protection. I mean, what does that even mean? I mean, these phrases, they mean, they, they don't make sense. They sound so weird to someone who's never been to church, who's not religious or hasn't read the Bible, right? What people need is not our religious jargon. What they need is your authentic voice telling your authentic story that you are a broken person who has been loved and rescued by God. That's what people need, your authentic voice communicating the good news of God's love. So we've looked at two metaphors that Paul uses. We are incense bearers spreading the fragrance of the gospel in how we live. We're letters from Christ communicating the gospel through how we speak. And one final one he gives, we are mirrors reflecting the power of the gospel. Now look at verses three, 17 through 18. Paul's riffing here on the difference between the old covenant of the law and the new covenant of of grace and the spirit. And he's saying, while the old covenant of the law didn't actually have the power to change anyone because the law can only modify your behavior. In the new covenant of the spirit, you have the power of the spirit living in you. We can actually bring transformative change to a person's life. So he says in verse 18, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit, this is amazing. Paul saying, as we gaze upon God's glory in the person of Jesus, then the spirit of God begins to change us, begins to help us deal with our sins and struggles and brokenness so that we become more and more like the person of Jesus, resembling him. What this is saying is that how we change, how the spirit changes us 
as one of the most significant ways that we communicate the good news of God to the world. Because y'all, everybody wants to change. You know, everybody knows that they're broken. Everybody knows that they got something in their lives that is messed up. And if you don't think that, then that's probably the, re- the way that you're messed up. <laughs> you know, everybody's got something that is, that is wrong. And everybody wants change. Everybody wants renewal. The self-help industry makes billions a year promising people change and transformation. And yet in Christ and through his spirit, we are given real dynamic dynamite power from the outside in us to produce the kind of change and transformation that all of us are longing for. Just a few weeks ago, um, during a sermon, I think the sermon was on self-control. One of our covenant partners, Judy Duarte was worshiping at home with us online. For years, Judy had been battling repressed anger towards her mother. And, and, and she had tried to forgive her and she couldn't. She'd asked for God's help, but she was stuck. She could not forgive. But something happened that morning. As she heard this, something said, a message about God's radical grace and forgiveness, her heart broke open. And she started weeping and she started praying aloud and she found herself asking God not for help to forgive her mother, but asking for God's forgiveness for her, (laughs) for holding so much bitterness and so much resentment against her mother for so many years. And she said, I knew it was the spirit, she said, because I never would have asked for that. And she said, after, after after this experience, she said, she got up off the couch and she said, I was free. I was cleansed. I was whole. And now here's the key. She told that story. She told it to me. I asked her if I could tell it to you. She said, of course I want you to tell it. Right? It takes courage and vulnerability to do that because it admits a place of struggle in a person's life. It admit, she admitted she couldn't fix that on her own. She told of God's power and change. See, friends, as we venture out to participate in the mission of Jesus, we are mirrors that show and reflect the power of God's grace in us. Let me tell you, friends, People don't want to hear about how awesome and religious you are. People don't want to hear how holy you are. Nobody wants to hear that. What people want to know is how in your weakness and brokenness, God has met you with his grace and brought you wholeness and life and freedom. That's what people are longing for. And so you're not pointing to yourself. We're pointing to the power of Christ who saves us in our brokenness, that we are broken people that Jesus loves and that he has redeemed. So we do not lead with our strength. We lead with our weakness because God's power is most manifest in those places of greatest struggle. So so let me sum up. We are God-sent people. Jesus is on a mission, friends. He's on a mission to renew all things And we are a part of that. God wants to make the known, the truth, and the power of the gospel through us. We are incense bearers, making known the gospel in how we live. We are letters, making known the gospel in how we speak. And we are mirrors, making known the gospel in how we change. Now, you might be saying, I can't do this. I'm not up for this. You might be feeling like Sam and Bucky, right? Like, I am completely inadequate for this task. And friends, that is completely the point. As Paul says in verse five, our competence comes from God. Paul has tremendous confidence 
Not because he's got all the answers, not because he has it together, but because of Christ in him, Christ in you. The gospel is the good news that we're saved, we're rescued, not because of our competence and goodness and moral behavior, but because of the competence and goodness and power of Jesus for us. And in the same way, in our witness, our competency comes not of our ability and strength, but God's power in our weakness. This work is God's work, not our work. It is God's mission, not our mission. Incense bearers, they just walk along, right? Letters, they just get written on. They get sent. Uh, uh, Mirrors, they just stand there and reflect. (laughs) See, our job is just to be close to the king, make ourselves available, surrendering to Jesus Christ, letting the spirit do his work in us. So all those superhero stories, they're really pointing to a deeper truth, that God is on a mission to redeem and renew all things. And you and I, in our ordinary, inadequate, everyday lives can be swept up into this amazing vision and mission of what God is doing, that you can be a part of the mission of God as he extends his joy and his justice and his love and his life to all creation. And I promise you, I promise you friends, there is no life that is more significant than that life, being a part of God's gracious mission to renew all things. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that you love us and that you love the world and that you are on that great renewing mission of love to renew and reconcile all things to yourself in Christ. Help us um, to be those who point not to ourselves, but to Christ. Help us to be incense bearers who are living a a category-defying goodness. Help us to be letters who are communicating with our authentic voice, the love of God. And help us to be mirrors who are reflecting Jesus in the ways that he is meeting us in our weakness and changing us, giving us freedom and wholeness. May you do these things in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.